Uh, like Jeremy said, we're continuing a series in the book of Isaiah. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open up to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, uh, well, we would encourage you to, to get one. Um, but also, uh, you can, and there's an app you can get. The YouVersion app is a great app. A lot of us use that here. Uh, you can get that right on your phone or smart device. Um, and we'll put the text up on the screen as well so that you can be following along with us as we talk through Isaiah 43 today. Uh, well, in 1995, I was Mr. Cougar. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, it, it's, it sounds like a big deal. It really wasn't. Um, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. We're our, our high school, so I went to Countryside High in, in uh, Clearwater, Florida, and our mascot were the Cougars. And every year there was a Mr. Cougar contest, and when I was a junior, I won, which was unprecedented because, yes, thank you. Yeah, I'm still living off of that hype, so <clears throat> all these years. Um, it's dumb enough. Well, and, and the reason that I won is because they, they asked a question. They said, well, why do you want to be Mr. Cougar? And I said, because I can't be Mrs. Cougar. And so it was pretty dumb. Anyway, but even dumber than that was that they gave you this like sash, this like red sash that had uh, Mr. Cougar and puffy paint written on it. And I actually wore it around. Like I wore it in the halls. I wore it in class. I wore it to parties sometimes. And I like started to kind of really believe the hype that I am Mr. Cougar. And I, and this ridiculous event kind of shaped a narrative uh, about who I really thought that I was. What we're going to look at today in the Scripture, and what many of us do, is we let the past determine our future. In other words, something happened in your story that was so significant that it's still shaping your identity, and it's still shaping your thoughts about life and other people, and it might even be shaping your thoughts about God, and it's followed you through every season of life up to this moment, and it still has like a dominating voice speaking into your life. And it could have been a failure of yours, or maybe somebody failed against you, and that past is controlling your future. It could be a moment that was a, a win for you, something that, 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 that went really well for you. And for you, you're still hanging on to one of your best moments, and you're kind of stuck there, and that moment kind of dictates your identity. And I've, I've noticed this in my own life. I've also noticed this not just in the lives of other individuals, but in whole communities and whole organizations can, can be like this. As a, as a church, we can have moments like this where either a, a pain point or a past victory can keep us from trusting in God and faith and moving forward in His mission in the world. Something from our past keeps us from moving appropriately into the future that God has for us. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning, and it was already read for us, is that God is doing a new thing. That's the word that God has for us this morning. That's the message from God to us this morning. God says, I am doing a new thing. It's always interesting to me what things that I think like, oh man, that's going to be, people are going to be really excited when they hear that from God. But um, <laughs> Well, it's, it's too late now. You can't woo after I have to call you out. But it's okay because the reality is we're, all, we're, we're not really excited about new. And when the Israelites heard this, they kind of responded the same way that you did. They didn't really get that excited about it. It just kind of like washed over them. And sometimes we're just really comfortable with the way it is. We don't want the new thing. That, that could be you. Maybe you're like, I just wish we could go back to the old way, how it used to be. That would be good for you. But what God is saying in His Word is, consistently and constantly, 
is that he has a plan in motion. And he desires for us to be in motion towards his plan as well with him. Ultimately, the scripture tells us in the book of Revelation, if you flip all the way to the back, what God is saying is he's saying, behold, I'm making all things new, a a new future, a new heaven, new earth, new eternity. And, And on the way to that, God is saying, I'm still in the business of making new beginnings for you and and for me. And this is the prayer, really, that in our lives, in our church, in our community, that God would be constantly doing something new. But the truth is, for many of us, it's so hard to get away from the voice of the past that's constantly dragging us backwards. It makes it hard for us to believe that God is actually doing a new thing. But what we're going to see in the Scripture and what we're learning from Isaiah is that no matter what is in our past, He holds our future and He's inviting you into that future with Him. And so the question this morning is, does anybody here want that? Is there anybody who wants a new start with God? Well, if you do, the first thing that you have to do, according to Isaiah, is we need to go backwards. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 18. It says this, Forget the former things, and do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Let's pray and just ask God to help us with our text this morning. Father, we love you, and God, we're so thankful for your word. And God, we're thankful for the promises and the way that you speak those promises to us. And God, even more than that, for the way that you keep your promises. And God, we... Um, are praying, I'm praying, that you, um, that you would be in our midst. We know that you're here, but God, give us a, an awareness of you being here. And God, as we, as we talk about things in the past and we talk about painful things, that voice in so many of our lives and our heads and our hearts, God, is so loud. And so I am praying that by your spirit, your vo- voice would be, would be louder and that we would hear from you, but we need you for that. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you work and move freely? I I pray, God, that you would control me and my mouth and my mind. God, that there would be a filling in me of your Holy Spirit. And that, God, that you would um, show us Jesus this morning. And that our desire for him and our affection for him would grow because we've spent this time together with you and with your word. And I can't manufacture that, my own strength, or, but God, you can do that, and so would you. Jesus, we love you so much, and it's in your name we pray, amen. So what, Isaiah, what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah here is he's saying, don't dwell on the former things. And have a new understanding that I'm doing the new thing. But to get to the new, we have to go to the past. So go back to verse 16 in Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So what's God doing here? He's reminding his people of his story and their story, specifically the Exodus, which was a pivotal moment in the life of the Israelites, in the life of God's people. 
the prophet Isaiah and Jeremy talked a little bit about this last week. This, this, this book kind of sits right in the middle of the story of God and his people. And in this prophecy, what God is trying to communicate to his people is he's saying, I love you. I have a plan for you. Even though you keep forsaking me and walking away and wandering and rebelling against me. And he says that ultimately that is going to cost you, in their case, an exile in Babylon. And, 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 the, and the prophet Isaiah, he, he ministered at a time in between the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity. He's ministering at a time where one did happen and one was going to happen. But God is saying, he's like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I'm going to make a brand new beginning for you. And what he's doing here in Isaiah 43 is he's looking past the captivity, which hasn't happened yet, to give them hope for when he does. It's, it's as if he's writing a letter from the future so that when something does go wrong, they can have hope. Because right now, in the midst of this, they're not listening to him. They're not, they're not listening to Jeremiah. They're not listening to any of the prophets, for that matter. In fact, the legend says that they're going to take the prophet Isaiah, they're going to put him in a hollowed-out log, and they're going to saw him in half in that log. But God, through Isaiah is kind of painting the picture of how the story is going to play out. Isaiah is looking past an event that hasn't happened yet to give them hope that when something ends, God can do something new. And God is saying, no matter what, I'm going to make all things new. And the way that you can trust me is by going back and remembering what I've already done. When you were stuck, when it looked like there was no way, I made a way. I parted the sea. I made a way through the sea. I already opened up the waters, God is saying. I gathered up your enemies. They're all sunk at the bottom of the, of the sea. And don't dwell on where you were because I'm going to do something new. Now, this is tough for us because so many of us, we just we love the good old days. We love the moments in our past where God moved, where God delivered. And so what we try to do is we try to systematize our life with God. We, we try to make it static and not dynamic. We reduce our faith down to a, a formula because faith feels risky because it, it takes faith. A, a formula is something that we have figured out. It's dialed in. There's no risk. There, there, it's very simple. You, put a, you get an input, you get an output. And we want a life with God that's like that, where we've just got it kind of figured out. There's a consistent formula to that. Uh, I was thinking about this this week, but it's, it's really interesting. If you look at Jesus in the Gospels, his interactions when he's uh, doing healings, when, when he's doing the miracles, he never really does the healing the same way. There's sometimes where he touches someone, sometimes where he can heal from long distance. There, there's sometimes where someone touches his clothes and, and they're healed. There, there's a moment where he uh, makes mud and he, he, he spits in the, in, the, in the dirt and makes mud out of his spit and puts it in the eyes. Sometimes he doesn't have to do that for blind, which I'm kind of, I'm like the second guy, like what if he found out like, oh wait, you didn't have to do the mud thing. How come you did the mud thing with me and you didn't have to do that? You made me go through that anyway. <laughs> But he always does it a different way so that you can't reduce him down to a formula. But we want, we want Jesus to be reduced down to a formula because faith feels risky. Now, God is also not saying here that he's going to give us some kind of like spiritual amnesia or we won't remember the disappointment or the hardship or the failure or the past. He's just saying, I just don't want you to stay there. That's why he's saying, don't hold on to what is old, meaning I don't want you to call that your permanent address and think that's where you're going to operate and live out of the rest of your life. 
Now, now you do have to pay attention to your past. The, the Scripture speaks to that. And God wants us to take us forward by having us look first at what was behind us because if you want to ruin your future, you ignore your past. But if you pay attention to your past, it can lead you into success in the future. We see this in Jesus in the Gospels as well. When he has interactions with people, he understands, he recognizes their pasts, and he recognizes that they have a story that's already in motion. Um, if, if you look at the interaction that Jesus has with a man uh, named Zacchaeus, Jesus comes to town, everybody wants to see Jesus, they're pressing in, Zacchaeus is up in a tree, he interacts with Jesus, and, and Jesus knows that Zacchaeus is hated by his Jewish brothers and sisters because he works for the Roman government and he's taxing and extorting his own people. Jesus stops and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house today. I'm going to spend time with you today, which is a crazy thought because Jesus is going to the house of the guy who works for the government, collects money for that government that will eventually kill Jesus on the cross. And we don't know what happened at that meal. We don't know what happened at that dinner. But when Zacchaeus came out, he said, I'm going back. And anybody that I cheated in my past, I'm going to repay them I'm going to pay them back four times what I took for them. Because an encounter with Jesus meant for Zacchaeus, I need to walk backwards so that I can walk forward together with Jesus. Jesus knows there's a past. He knows there's a story there. The same thing with the, the Samaritan woman at the well. In this encounter, Jesus meets her. She's drawing water, and he's there, and he has, starts a conversation with her, and he said, I want to change your life today. I want to give you living water. It's like, a, it's like a spring on the inside, and you'll never have to draw water again. You'll never be thirsty again. And she says, I definitely want that, and Jesus says, great. Why don't you go get your husband and bring him back and tell him about it? Because Jesus knew that she had a story. Jesus knew she had a past. And he wasn't trying to put her down. He wasn't trying to embarrass her. He was trying to lead her forward. And, and, and when she said, well, I'm not married, I don't have a husband, Jesus says, yeah, you're right, you've had five, and the guy you're living with right now isn't going so good, is it? And in that moment, this is what Jesus is doing. He acknowledged, we got to go back a step or two because I came here to change your life, and I came here to lead you into a new future. So to go forward, we do have to deal with some stuff in the past. And the question is, well, how do we do that? Because all of us have different ways that we deal with past pain. For some of us, it's in a bottle. For some of us, it's in our work. We just grind ourselves to death in our work. That's how we deal with our past pain. For some of you, it's on your credit card. That's how we kind of numb the past pain. For some of you, it's just, it's just in isolation. You just isolate and get yourself all alone and completely disconnected from other people. So how do we appropriately deal with the past? The, the Scripture points to two ways that we deal with the past. If you're taking notes, you can just write this down. It's really simple. The way that we deal with past pain, the way that we deal with what is behind us that we've gone through, that's shaping our identity today, there's two significant ways. The Scripture says, with Christ and in Christ. With Christ and in Christ. This is how you go back to the past so that you can start again. You do it with Christ and in Christ. Now, naturally, most of us, myself included, we don't want to go back to painful places. We don't want to go back to those places in our life. And God is saying, I'm asking you to let me go there with you and for you. 
because I'm doing a new thing. And Isaiah tells us what this new thing is going to look like. I know we've read this verse already, but let's read it again. Verse 19, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? This is, what's, this is what God is doing. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Wilderness and wasteland. And there's some of us in the room, or some of us listening online, and for you, you'd say that really describes kind of what life feels like right now. Feels like wilderness. Feels like wasteland. Feels like barren. Feels dried up. And if that's you, that's who God is speaking to today. He's saying, I'm making a way in the desert. I'm making a way where there seems like there is no way. And I'm making streams in the wasteland. But here's the thing. It involves a wasteland. It involves wilderness. The Bible does not shy away from reality. It does not shy away from difficult seasons in our life. It doesn't shy away from wastelands. It doesn't shy away from wilderness moments. But the good news is, the Scripture says we're passing through it, not staying in it. Go back up to verse 2 in chapter 43. Listen to what God says. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, that imagery there is talking about God's judgment towards his people who have rebelled against him. But he says, listen, you will go through that, but you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. There will be difficulty. There are consequences. But we're not setting up camp there. God is taking you through it. The Scripture says God's making a road. He's not building a parking lot. You walk through. You go through, and He's with you, and you're in Him. And what's amazing is God saying, I'm not only just doing that with you, I'm I'm really doing that through all creation. Look at verse 20 in in Isaiah 43. He He says this, He says, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So Isaiah is making it very clear to us that God is the one who's responsible for the new thing. And what he's drawing us to and drawing us out of is, don't be so stuck on the old things that you don't get to experience the new thing. And our part that we play, according to this verse, is praise. It's a lifestyle of worship. If we want to see the wastelands become wetlands, we have to worship God with all of our lives and by faith live out what God has given us in the place that he has placed us. Which means in our homes, it's a life of worship. With our families and our neighbors, It's a life of worship. With our finances, it's a life of worship. It means we're offering all of our lives all up to Jesus for the fame of his name and the good of our neighbor. It means a life of worship in our serving with one another and our love and our care for the least, the last, the lost. A life of worship 
where we are constantly decreasing so that Jesus is constantly increasing in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our communities. And what Isaiah is saying is when you do that, the water will flow. The water will flow. And not just to us, not just to uh, the, the, the church. What's, um, what's incredible here is, is that Isaiah is saying, like, this goes even to people who don't even know God. God is blessing his creation. The, the, the springs, the water flows through creation. The amazing thing that we see is that this pathway that God is talking about in Isaiah is actually a person. A person who's revealed as Jesus Christ. The pathway, the way where there is no way, is a person, and his name is Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into the story, and what we celebrate in the gospel is that he did everything possible and everything necessary to give you and I the confidence that we can move forward with him because we went back with him and we can step into what he is making new. The Apostle Paul, he takes this theme in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, he says this, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. How do we go back with Christ in God? Now, I've read this verse a bunch of times, but it's really hit me, because what Paul is saying, and if this is true, this should have a radical effect on the life of the Jesus follower, on the life of the believer. Because what Paul is saying is like, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, if, you are a, if you're a believer, is that the old life, my old life, the old me, all my old tendencies, all the learned patterns and behaviors and ways of being, all the things, the generational things that are handed down, he's saying all of that is swept away in the old life, and now I have new identity and, and a brand new way of being and a, and a brand new place to live out of that is hidden in Jesus, encapsulated in Him, sealed in Him, protected by Him, identified with Him. As a follower of Jesus, that's who you are. That's your brand new identity. He's not saying you don't have a past and that there aren't painful parts of the past. And there isn't like a magic eraser for all the painful things of the past. It doesn't mean that there is no past. It means that there is a brand new you. So it's possible to identify with your past or I, and, and not be defined by it. In other words, it's possible to be honest about what was and not be defined by it for the rest of your life. Because what Paul's saying is, I died. And now I'm hidden with Christ in God. Now I am a brand new me in him because he's in me. That's how you go back to the past. The band's going to come up. We're, we're going to close. We're just about done here. But that's how we go back to the past. 
because we are led by the nail-scarred hands of Jesus back to the pain of the past. It's you and I taking the hold of the one that we are hidden in. The nail-scarred hand of Jesus lets us know that we can be healed in our past and find the ability to release what needs to be released so we are not carrying that stuff into the future. And those hands let us know that we can be led from the painful past and anything that you need to repent or turn from so that you can be led into God's future for you. There's another key component to this that Paul gives us in the very same passage because it's a component of community. Paul says this, God's put us in a family. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you're not just a you, we are an us. You were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do collectively as a community, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it in a community and do it with wisdom. Well, how, how does that show up? How do we do that? He says, be rooted in the word. Dwell richly in the word together as a community and in a life of worship and in a life of praise stirring one another up to the good works, reminding each other of the new thing that God is doing in our midst, that he's doing in us, and that he wants to do through us for the good of the world and for his fame. And when we do that, when we sit in that place together, dwelling in his word, living lives of praise and worship to him with all of our life, he says wisdom comes out, and the world sees that. And they say, I need that. God wants to get you out of the past and into the future because you and I, us, we got a song to sing that the world needs to hear. It's a song of deliverance. It's a song of how he takes his people through the difficult seasons. It's a song of how our God makes a way where there is no way. It's, it's a song of how our God takes the painful past things, redeems and restores and heals what's broken and brings the new thing and brings life to those who are dead. And moving forward, it's a song of God doing a new thing. It starts with a confession of faith. It says, God, I believe that you are making all things new. And I believe that only you can do that. And will you do that with me? The, the prophet starts with a really important word for us. He says, I want you to see it. Some, some translations will say, behold, do you see? Do you see, Christian, that your past is covered in the shed blood of Jesus and the future and the new thing that he's taking you to? for your greatest good and for his glory. Do you see it? One of the reasons we have communion here every week 
is so that we can take hold of the body and the blood of Jesus so that we can see it and so that we can taste it and so that we can know it and remember what our God has done on our behalf. If you're a follower of Jesus with us here this morning, I invite you to take these two elements. They should be near or on your seat. On the very top, if you peel that back, there's a, a, a wafer. This is the bread. This is the body of Jesus. The scripture tells us that he was bruised, that he was crushed, not for his sin, but for mine and for yours. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life, a life you and I should have lived but never could. And he lived it on our behalf. And they took his body and they nailed it to the cross after they had beaten him to where you couldn't even recognize him. We take the body of Jesus Christ, we take the bread in remembrance of what he has done in his life to give us life. So take and eat that now. Then we take the cup. Because Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. Why does he do that? He says, for my own sake. It's his joy, it's his pleasure to do that. And remembers your sins no more. He couldn't just just willy-nilly just say, hey, it's all right, forget about it. It has to be paid for. There was a penalty. There was a ransom that was due. And the only thing that could atone for, the only thing that could cover, the only thing that could blot out all the foolish, wicked, vile, painful things of your past and mine is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we need to see and remember that shed blood. And we take that when we drink, so drink now. Well, the prophet Isaiah was very clear. He said that we are to be a people who sing songs of praise. So after we eat and after we drink and after we remember the goodness of our God, we do that. So why don't you stand with us together and let's sing those praises.